there are things on our way to the things we want that we don't like. So currently, I'm taking a couple classes at Fuller, and it's like the worst possible time because any moment now, our baby can come. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to finish everything as fast as possible because once the baby comes, I'll be out of commission for a while. And Fuller is not easy, like especially at my age because I'm far removed from college. So I'm doing like 20-page papers, and it doesn't come as quickly as it used to. And then you're doing two different classes, so you have to switch your brain around a lot, and you have to read a lot. And I actually really enjoy it. I didn't think I would, but I really, really like studying theology. And one of the things that's interesting is the thing I hate the most about school, it's, it sounds so ridiculous, the thing I hate the most about school are bibliographies. I didn't know what a thorn in my side citations would be. Because the way that my brain works, I'm like an artist, so I absorb information and I weave it how I please. Don't tell me when to cite things. I, if I'm inspired by you, I'm inspired by you. That's just how it's going to be. <laughs> and literally every paper I write, the professor says, great job. You know, usually it's a pretty decent paper. But by the way, your bibliography and your citations are all wrong. Because there's Turabian, there's ML, there's Chicago style, I don't know. And every professor has a different uh, requirement. But whatever it is, this, this, like yesterday I was working on a paper for eight hours. And while I was working on it, I was so mad at the citations that I said, why am I even doing this? Why am I even studying? Like, something so small made me want to throw out everything that I was working towards. And does that ever happen to you where the, the small things, the small annoyances that are on your way to the thing that you love makes you want to stop? It makes you want to quit. And, you know, the same, the same can be found in my music. I love making music, but there's parts about the, the process of getting people together, the logistics that I just do not like. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that. There are things about our calling that can cause us distress and happiness, so much so that you actually forget why you even started. And I found in, in two places in the Bible where Jesus himself actually had to have incentive. And so I just want to look at it really quick. In Hebrews chapter 12, just verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 2 again, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He actually saw joy, and he said, because of this joy that comes after the pain, I'm actually going to deal with the, the shame, and I'm going to endure. Isn't that interesting? that Jesus in his humanity had to be reminded of his joy. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 53 really quick. We're going to stay in Hebrews today, but I wanted to reference something in Isaiah 53, verses 8 to 12. So this is a description of the suffering servant. It was prophetic. Isaiah was prophetically talking about Jesus. And verses 8 to 12. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? It's interesting. Like, it's, Isaiah is actually saying, who could have imagined the future of Jesus? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin... He shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. 
Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So in verse 11, it says, Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He's talking about you and I. Jesus, in his humanity, needed to know that there was a reason for what he was doing. Now, it's, very easy, it's kind of hard to talk about this because he's God. And so it's interesting to think about the humanity of Jesus because we always, we always just say, oh, well, he was God. And so because he was God, that absolves us from having to take on the responsibility that he had because he's God and we're human. But you have to understand that Jesus was actually 100% human. He didn't get to like, when he was suffering, he didn't have a button where he said, now I'm God, let me transform. Life is getting too hard, so let me now just be God and not human. Jesus didn't actually have a transformation button that he could do that. He was 100% human, he was 100% God, and as a result, we cannot absolve our responsibility from looking to how he did things because he was just like us, right? And what we do is we always throw the, well, he was God. He wasn't a transformer. (laughs) And sometimes our theology is really strange when we do that. It's crazy that Jesus had incentive, In Hebrews 12 and in Isaiah, we see that he was incentivized to move forward, to push past the pain. Now, sometimes in our Christian life, we don't talk about our faith attached to incentive because we would think of incentive as as carnal, right? We would think, well, no, we should just be Christian because it's the right thing to do. Or we should just be Christian for the joy of being a Christian. And why that's, that's true You and I came to faith. You and I are in this thing called Christianity where we've pretty much let go of so many things and done so many things for the sake of Jesus because we are tied into something better, a reward, can I even say. Dare I say a reward that is due to us, right? And so a lot of times we don't actually realize that Jesus himself in his humanity needed motivation. He needed motivation. He needed incentive. And we can't just discount that just because he was God and he knew the perfect will of God. As a human being, Jesus himself needed incentive. And I want to look really quick at how faith and joy are related. And it's here. In, in, In Hebrews 12, Faith is connected to joy. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So he's the author of our faith and he's the one that develops our faith. Who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame? That means that the person who is the, who is the pioneer and the developer, developer of your faith is intimately connected to joy. Faith is connected to joy. And that's why when things are hard, we allow God to do his work in us because we are after the joy that's coming. Now, I think, I think... That some of us, when we are lacking faith in an area of our life, we have either not found the joy that's on the other side. So, for example, maybe you forgot. Like Rajiv forgets every time he has to do a bibliography or endnotes. I forget what I'm really doing or what I'm really getting out of it. 
So sometimes when we don't have the faith or the perseverance, we've forgotten about the joy that's coming. Or might I suggest to you that there is no joy that's coming and you might be doing the wrong thing. Let's not make the mistake of saying every hard thing has joy that's coming. That's not actually true. I wish that was true, but that's not actually true. If you are finding that faith in a certain matter is too elusive for you, it's too hard to grasp, you also have to consider the fact that what you are doing actually offers no joy, and that's why you don't have faith to go after it. That's possible, right? You guys are looking at me like I said, like I took your candy away. That's possible. Either you are not in touch with the joy that's coming, or you're just doing the wrong thing. And it's better to find out sooner than later. We cannot pretend to be too holy for outcomes. You know, I know we talk a lot, especially at this church, about not doing things for the outcome or the joy. And that is true as God develops us. But we are in this for a reward. (laughs) Like, I don't know about you, but I've given up so much for my faith. I'm not a martyr or anything, but I've done a lot against my flesh. And I pray to God that it's worth it. Don't you? Don't you hope that all the suffering that you've been through is worth it? Jesus did too. On the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he needed to grasp for something in faith. Jesus exercised faith. He needed to use faith to know that a reward was coming on the other side. That reward was you and I. That by his death, all of us would be made righteous. That we wouldn't have to get it by works, but through grace and through his blood. My question to you is, what is your reward? What are you doing? Take an inventory of your life today. What is it that you are working towards? And why are there some things in your life that every time you think about it or every time you work towards it, there's no faith that rises? Because maybe you just didn't hear from God and you're just doing that on your own desire. And maybe the things that you have heard from God to do and the things that you are supposed to do, why are you not connected to the joy? Why are you not connected to uh, the thing that's coming as a result of what you're doing? Right? This is a tough intro, but it's just the intro. Don't worry about it. Satisfaction and joy is an understated consequence of going through travail because we feel sometimes that we just need to suffer for the sake of suffering. And let me tell you something. Most of the time, If we are not in God, suffering will make you worse than it did if you did not suffer. So I'm not here to start telling everyone to reduce your suffering. But what I am saying is suffering in of itself is dumb. It's silly. And I want us to be in touch with the joy on the other side. What is the joy? Why are you doing what you're doing? This is not just... I'm not just talking about in salvation or your spiritual life. I'm talking about in your everyday life. Why is it that you've chosen your career? Why is it that you've chosen this church? Why is it that you've chosen where you live? What? Why? Have you ever asked yourself that question, or do you kind of just let life happen to you? Let's continue on. In, in Hebrews 12, 5 to 13. But if you didn't take anything from what I, that first introduction part, just realize this. Jesus had incentive in his humanity. And you may have never heard that before because I was kind of struck when I read it too. <laughs> Jesus Christ, our God, in his humanity had incentive. Like as a human, not as the God part, but his humanity needed incentive to move forward. He needed to be tied in to the joy that was set before him. Doing what Jesus did was extremely difficult for him. We don't get to play the transformer theology. Oh, well, he just flipped and became God. That's why when we take communion, when you eat of the flesh, when you drink the wine, it's a big deal. 
Because what he did was a big deal. It would be like you doing it as a human. You can't. None of us can. It's a big deal. And we cannot just thrust the label of God in his humanity and say, he was God. And sometimes we do that. Okay? Moving on. Hebrews chapter 12, 5 to 13. Let's go to verse 3. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. There's this endurance thing. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children. My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Chastises the people that he accepts. Sounds sounds like a contradiction. Verse 7. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. God is treating you as children. For what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? If you do not have that discipline in which all children share, then you are illegitimate and not his children. Moreover, we had human parents to discipline us, and we respected them. Should we not be even more willing to be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share his holiness." Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. I realize something. Children have the capacity to endure discipline because they have been parented. Orphans do not. And I don't just mean orphans in the sense that you, not, of not having parents. But children, for some reason, when they're tied into the parent, they have the ability to be disciplined, and they don't like it. The Bible says you're not going to like it. It's not always pleasant. But you will be disciplined. But orphans do not like the discipline, because they don't actually know who's disciplining them. And the problem is, there are orphan places in each of our lives where we, don't ha- we, we have not experienced the passing on of spirituality or the passing on of parenting. I know this firsthand, and I'm, ta- I'm going to talk to you about it a little bit. Have you ever met children of really spiritual people? or really strong men and women of God? Have you, or have you ever met their descendants? It's weird. I've seen it. I've noticed it around the world. There's a special glow on them. They might be messed up, and they might do a lot of bad things, but for some reason, this, the heritage that they come with, they walk with such confidence. And I see it time and time again. I see parents who invest in the next generation. I see the fruits of that from those, from those children. I see it in their lives, even though it's so undeserved. They didn't even work that hard. <laughs> right? They didn't even work that hard. Now, there are places in our lives, even if you had magically beautiful parents or a spiritual heritage, there are places in each of our lives that we are actually not very parented in. I don't know if that's a word, but we're not very, uh, we haven't felt the, the parental guidance in. Doesn't matter how great your parents were, because they all have holes. We all have holes. I'm a parent too. There are places in Simone, especially my, my children, my own children, but I see it more in Simone because she's older, where I could tell that she needs more attention in, and if I don't parent her in that way, she will experience the, the lack later on in her life especially. And I see it in myself, areas that I have not been parented in, 
I can see that I want to disregard them and I don't want to be disciplined in those areas. This orphan mentality in each of us, okay? Orphan not just as a lack of parents or lack of family structure, but there's an orphan in each one of us and this is the thing that makes us not want to endure and not want to persevere and not want to be connected to the joy. This is the thing, because when it's not filled with parenting, the parenting of God, we will be left to our own devices. I am a person who so wishes to be parented in certain ways, and it's kind of hard to put words words to it, but you know, even in the music industry, a lot of the artists that I really like or that have done really well were pretty much managed by their parent. They were pretty much, doors were opened by their parent. And, you know, God bless my dad and God bless my mom for the times that she was here. But I don't really feel the, uh, the opening of doors in that way. That's what parents do. Parents open doors. Parents give you things that you could not get on your own, right? And, and, and so when I look at those dynamics, to be honest, my brother and I had my mom here for nine years. I mean, I had her for nine years. He had her for 15. I mean, pretty much whatever happened now was a reflection of whatever she prayed. Thank God for that. But I really do feel like I'm not living out of the spiritual inheritance because I don't see it every day. She's not here. She hasn't been here for 30 years. So I don't really feel uh, prayed for in that way. And, I, and this is me as a developing, decently mature Christian. I still feel this way. So I just wonder if any of you here, there are places in your life, and this is not about your parents, okay? I'm just using this metaphor. This is not about you having to see, see, mom and dad, why didn't you do this? Get over it. God is your parent. That's not what this conversation is about. This is about the places in your life that are orphaned and you don't feel like you've been parented in. And these are the places that help you, that these, are the, these are the reasons why you don't want to be disciplined. These are the reasons why you don't want to move past um, trial. And these are the reasons why you're blind to the joy that's coming. That's why when, that's why when uh, Jesus, at his more, most vulnerable time, what did he say? He said, my God, my God, a.k.a. Daddy, Daddy, Abba, Abba, why have you forsaken me? He didn't feel parented. He didn't feel like a son at that moment. And he didn't switch on the godness in him. He was a human being. And he had to go through the anguish to find the joy. It's, that word's going to take a while, so let it do what it does. Being an orphan creates something that this postmodern world would call imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome, have you guys heard of it? I feel like I'm the poster child of imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is you are in places and spaces where you feel deeply uh, unqualified to be in. And so you're always nervous that you're going to be exposed. <laughs> you're always nervous that you're going to be exposed for something that you're not. You know, when I'm at Fuller or when I'm doing stuff in the music industry or when I'm doing stuff in business, I constantly feel like at some point they're going to pull out, pull out the curtain and say, the jig is up. Who are you? What are you doing here? You do not belong here. And part of that imposter syndrome is a result of not feeling adequate in, in my sonship with God. And some of us feel that. It's actually not about your qualifications. It's about your identity in God. It has nothing to do with your qualifications. Nobody's qualified. Everybody's acting. Especially you go into the places where I'm at, they're just as confused and crazy as you. But it's this thing that comes in your head even if you're really qualified, it's this thing that comes in your head that says that you're not qualified, you're not good enough. And did you ever ask yourself, why does that happen? First of all, if you don't have imposter syndrome, you're probably not 
Let me not say that. <laughs> I'm a work in progress. So I'm a little exhausted of not feeling like things were handed down and that I have to open every door that I want for my life. And because I'm exhausted of it, I'm going to give that up in a good way. I'm going to give up the need to needing human vehicles to get to the next space in my life. Even having a mother for nine years or having a non-Christian parent or whatever happened, I believe that God can still be, can restore all the areas of lack in my life and not call me an orphan anymore. And I believe that he can do the same for you if you're up for it. If you're up for not resting on your laurels or your merits or all the things that you've accumulated in your life, if you're up for it, every space in your life that exposes the, that orphan mentality in you, today the Holy Spirit wants to fill it up. He says, I want, I want to parent you. And the interesting thing with children, since we're about to have another one, is that children don't come assembled. <laughs> you know, it's like, they, they come very basic. They come very, very basic. And they don't come fully formed. And so I realized the meticulous attention that I have, that Lydia and I have for our children, I can imagine how many areas, how many infinite areas that God has for me. How many areas he has to fill up in my life. That's why spiritual formation is forever. The moment you think you're here, the moment you think you're here, something else will go like this. And then you'll realize you're actually not here, you're here. Or you're here. Or sometimes you feel like you're here, but you're actually over here. Spiritual formation is the most important component of, your, of, of this whole thing that we call Christianity. And that's why it's so important. Now, here's the thing. For me, Jesus was, is doing this in a specific way. For you, he might be doing it in another way, but it has to do with him parenting you. But in order, in order to know what it is that God is doing in your life and how he's discipling you, you have to actually hear from him. You actually have to hear from God. We talk about this a lot at VCF. And so we're going to transition to faith and joy to know that faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The voice of God, right? In Romans 10, 17. And so what, we wanna, what, what I want to end this time with today is to actually talk about some components of hearing from God. Because hearing from God will, will make you sure that the thing that you have put your hands to or the things that you have laid down your life for actually will translate to joy on the other side. Otherwise, you might be doing the wrong thing. You might be working in the wrong realms, wrong industries, wrong everything. And so what we want to do really is hear from God so that we can have faith, so that the faith can propel us to the joy. If we don't hear from God, there's no faith. It's just, it's just your human motivation. And you don't want human motivation. You want that Jesus motivation. You want the motivation that Jesus had on earth. You want that incentive that he had. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 3. First Samuel chapter 3, this is the calling of Samuel, and we are going to just read the first 13 verses. So remember, you and I will do hard things, but we don't want to do hard things for the sake of it. Okay, this is, the, this is very important. We want to do the hard things in the trajectory that God has for us in our path. I, would, I wish, my greatest desire for all of you, that you guys would not do hard things that amount to nothing. 
Those things God will redeem, but they're actually destructive. I want us to do hard things that amount to something, unto joy, okay? So that is why we're hearing from God, okay, to receive the faith. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel, Samuel. Got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet the Lord and the yet Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. I'm more concerned for Eli than Samuel. Okay, verse 10. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. And we don't have to read what he actually said. So three times God says, Samuel, Samuel. But in each of those three times, God never clarifies himself. He waits for Samuel to say something else. I think this is really unfair. This is really unfair because when God calls Samuel, he could say, Samuel, Samuel. And when Samuel says, here I am, God should just say, well, Samuel, I, have, I am the God of the blah, 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 blah. And here's what I want you to do. Wouldn't you do that if you were God? I mean, he's a boy. He's a kid. And three times, and Samuel says, here I am. So that's a, that, that's a phrase of surrender. That's a phrase of acknowledgement. And that's a phrase of saying, Okay, I'm open. I'm open to listening. But we realize that God doesn't say anything until Eli interprets the fact that it is the voice of God. So now Samuel understands that Samuel, Samuel was coming from God and not Eli, right? Now, we talk a lot about just showing up in our Christian culture. Like sometimes you just got to show up. You got to show up. You got to show up. I really respect that. I think we do have to show up. But after a while, showing up doesn't actually do anything. Okay? That's like a catchphrase in Christianity. I never liked it. I'm just showing up. I mean, what does that mean? I've seen people at church for like 40 years. They're the same person 40 years before. So what do you mean showing up? I'm just showing up. I'm just showing up is here I am. Here I am is I'm just showing up. And so today, God wants us to move us from just showing up, which is very important. It is half the battle, truly, but you'll only get half the victory. So you, get, you show up, but what else does God want from us? And today we're going to talk about, really the sermon starts right now, in the next 20 minutes. The sermon is, how do you go from showing up to what then happens when God actually speaks? Okay, he says, Samuel says, once he realizes it's the voice of God, Samuel says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What is the difference between here I am and speak, Lord, for your servant is listening? It's good to be available to Jesus, but he, God's not ready to speak until Samuel acknowledged that it was him and what I realize is this. Most of us hear from God, and we actually hear him call out your name. We actually hear God saying, I have great things for you, and I want to use you. And, we hear, and you actually hear God call out your name. But you don't actually hear specifics from God, because you only want to hear God 
when his voice and your voice intersect. When God's voice and your voice intersect, that's all you actually want. So basically, you want to hear God so that he can encourage what you want. (laughs) Whatever it is that you want, that's how much you want from God. It's like during a sermon. It's like most people say amen only when they agree with it. (laughs) It's only what happens to all the other truth that you heard and that you don't want to amen. You only stomach that which you already resonate with, right? Not you, okay, but us, our culture, right? So most of us, the here I am, it kind of symbolizes you're available to God as soon as your desires and his voice intersect. And then you'll take that point of intersection and you'll create a whole life. (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy that we do this and most of us might be doing it right now. It's like if you, if you like music, Rajiv, God's speaking actually about music. And then right when it can resonates with me, boom, be an artist. Okay, that's the connection point. That's the resonance. Be an artist, and then now I take that, and I go do whatever I want with it. But I never actually asked, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. This is very, very important. Okay, this is what I'm saying is very, very important. Most of my 20s and my early 30s, I was very sensitive to the voice of God. I think it was a gift from God that I did not earn. Now, I was sensitive to the voice of God. That doesn't mean anything yet. (laughs) It just means I could hear. I was sensitive to God's voice. But the real question is, was I interested in God's heart? That's the real question, right? Hearing from God is one thing, but are you at, do you actually care about what God feels about something? Do you actually care about how he thinks about something? And that's, that's speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's different. I think most Christians, especially in our American context, go their entire Christian life being able to hear from God and being able to step up and be chosen as long as it resonates with their voice. And I think that's what we've called hearing from God. We've called hearing from God as confirmation. That's another Christian buzzword. Confirmation for everything you want. We love confirmations. Confirmations is confirming all the things that's in your mind and your heart. Do you know where else in the Bible somebody said, here I am? You remember when Moses said it in Exodus 3.3 when he saw the burning bush? And guess what? God didn't speak. God only spoke. to the, the, We don't have time to look at it. It says that God only spoke to him when he realized that the bush was burning. That means God needed to distinguish himself and say, this is actually important. I'm not going to talk to you until you realize something's weird here. <laughs> until, until you realize that I'm not like, I'm not like a sandwich. <laughs> I'm not just like a normal thing. There's a bush that's burning, and it's not being consumed. So something's up with that. And guess what happens? He says, here I am. God does not start instructing him when he says, here I am. You know what he does? Take off your shoes, homeboy. You are not, this is holy ground. Take off your shoes. There's a process by which God calls you, but it doesn't mean he's going to start downloading information to you. You're not ready. Your heart's not ready. You are not worthy of hearing what he has to say. Take off your shoes. You know another place where God says, here I am? Another place God says, here I am, is, um, is, let's see, I think I remember this one. Saul. And guess what? With Moses, he said, Moses, Moses. With Samuel, he said, Samuel, Samuel. With, with Saul, he said, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And what did he do? Did he start downloading, hey, you're going to be the, 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 the leader to the Gentiles. You're going to change the face of human history. You're going to do X, Y, and Z. You're going to bring the gospel to the non-Christian world. Did he say all that? No. He got blind for three days. When God calls your name, that doesn't mean you've just started to, that means you've, you've hit the first part. But it does not mean you're hearing from God. It means he's calling you. It means he's calling you. I think 
we've gone a long time in our Christian life with being satisfied with Saul, Saul, Moses, Moses, Daniel, Daniel, Lydia, Lydia. We've gone a whole Christian life just being satisfied with God calling your name, but not realizing that he wants to download everything he's thinking and feeling into you. That's a completely different walk with God. Some of us have created careers and industries and organizations just off of the calling of your name. Seriously. But that's okay. Thank God. God has more for us. That's okay. You were allowed to do that. But now he's ready to download. Now he's ready to give you his words. And if you're up for it, he will do it. I truly believe this, that most of my 20s and my early 30s, I lived off of Rajiv Rajiv, which did good. It did better than most of the world, right? (laughs) Thank God. It does great things. But in this next phase of my life, that is not, I'm no longer concerned with Rajiv Rajiv. It's now, Holy Spirit, download Give me your words. Tell me exactly what you want me to do. Align me. Let me become more intimate with you. See, part of what is happening is that we like to say amen to things, but we don't know that we're saying amen only because we agree with it and it resonates with our own voice. I want you to pay particular attention. I want you to pay particular attention to when your amen comes from your spirit. You don't really like what's being said. <laughs> you don't really, you, you, you feel very challenged by what's being said, but you're saying amen. That's, that's not a cultural amen, that's a spirit amen. That's an amen that says, I don't like what's going on, but I know it's for me, and I know it's right, and I'm going to walk that direction. I want us to have that kind of amen. That's a resonance of the spirit, not a resonance of what we agree with, okay? Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, Saul, Saul, and I'm sure it happens other places that I don't, can't think of right now. All of those times... The calling of the name was not sufficient. We had to take off our shoes. We had to get blinded for three days. We had to be completely disoriented so that our hearts would be aligned with the voice of God. There's a theologian, civil rights leader, author. Some would call him a mystic. His name's Howard Thurman. And he has this interesting quote, and I wrote it down. It says, a bigot is someone who makes an idol of his or her commitments. When we think of Christianity and those who are spiritual, we think, oh, those are the people who have high values and high commitments, and they never, sh- they never shake from their commitments, right? When you think of you being convicted, you think of yourself as someone who's uncompromising or unchanging of your values, Right? That's a conventional idea of what it means to be a man or woman of, of integrity. It's somebody who stands on their commitments, their values. But that's also the same thing that can make somebody a bigot. When you are racist, when you are prejudiced, you, are, you have an unhealthy attachment to the things that you believe about another person or another group of people. That's what you do. You're just a committed person. <laughs> You're a very committed person. And I want to I want, I, I challenge us today by, by saying that anything outside of the fact that Jesus Christ is God in your life and he is the way to salvation and way to heaven, other things that come out of that, God may have to develop you in those things. The only thing that we know for sure is Jesus is God. And he has, he has paid the ultimate price for us. Now, there are other things that you and I may actually think are orthodoxy that are not. And we just built a theology around it. But actually, the way that you can actually grow closer to God is to break that so that you can go closer to God. 
So there are things in our culture or even in the church that we believe that's not actually what God believes, but you believe it because you're a committed person. You're a committed person. I mean, just 50 years ago, there were things going on in our nation that we thought were moral, and they're not. And they were not moral, right? So my point is this. When you make your commitments an idol that are not of God, you become a bigot. And you become a bigot. The Pharisees were just like that. The reason why Jesus couldn't disciple the Pharisees is because their mental models were so stubborn. They were so bigoted in how they thought that Jesus could not change their mind. But with the disciples, he was always changing. Their minds were getting changed every 30 minutes, it seemed like. They were constantly being able to be discipled because God was saying, oh, no, I'm not that kind of Messiah. I'm this kind of Messiah. Oh, no, I don't care about uh, wealth in the way that you care about the wealth. I care about the poor. I don't care about prestige. I actually care about um, humility. So Jesus, in his discipleship of the disciples, a.k.a. you and I, was actually breaking their commitments. He was breaking their idolatry. He was breaking the way that they saw the world. He was changing their mental models, you can call it, right? The model of how they were thinking. When we are available to God and just want to be chosen, we are not actually willing to break our commitments. But when we say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, We are not holding on to our commitments or all the things that we believe to be true about our life. We are willing to break it so that God can come in and do his work. I think the church today holds on to things that might be appropriate too, that holds on to values but in such a way that's not in the spirit. It's such a way just to preserve something that's not God's. So the way... You can transition just very practically. The way that you transition from here I am to speak, Lord, your servant is listening, is to allow God to break the way you think about yourself, your life, and your situation. See, in my 20s and in my early 30s, I can't believe I say early 30s like in the past. (laughs) Lord have mercy. So in my 20s and in my early 30s, I heard a word from God. Let's just say, okay? And it was in music, let's just say. Because if you want to be a disciple, become a musician. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So I, I, I had a mental model of God the way that you have to work in my life, because now I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm an artist who's a Christian, the only way you're going to have to do this thing is you've got to have to make me the biggest artist in the world. That's the way that you have to work because that's my mental model. If, if you want your name to be known, open the doors and promote me, right? That's my mental model. That's Rajiv, Rajiv, here I am. After But until I say, speak, Lord, your sermon is listening, then I have to let go of my commitment to my mental model, which is how music is going to change the world and my people around me. And it has to break. And then I have to let go of that commitment. And then I have to actually become a vessel. That right there is a template for how you and I have to move forward. Forget the past. To move forward, you cannot take your commitments and mix it up with the voice of God and then create something. That's not how it works. That's not how men and women were used in the Bible. And that's not how you and I will be used. We will be used in some way, shape, or form, but God wants to push us beyond. Last weekend, and this is how we're going to close, I... Was a, I led a conference for, for another church, for Lake Avenue Church, and it was their fall conference. And um, this is a group of people that have never experienced uh, a miracle before. 
you know. Maybe they have in their personal life, but they haven't, they haven't experienced the supernatural uh, healing or the supernatural touch of God, what we may call the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I was very, very nervous because they were intrigued by what we do at VCF. And they're intrigued by some of the things that I've been a part of there. And so they, they expected a little bit of that to happen. But those things don't just happen. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Come do I mean, I can imagine people, like, they invite Pastor Ko somewhere, so they think something can happen. Like, as if he's God, or as if things just happen that way. doesn't. It's amazing how people just whip it up. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, so I was very nervous going into it, and I didn't actually want to do it. One, because the timing is the worst time right now. And two, it's more, I can't make anything happen. In fact, I'll look really dumb if I do. And so a lot of times when you go to these conferences, you know, you have to prepare for speaking for three times, and then they have seminars and all that. So I did what I do, and I preached. And the whole time I was there, I was very nervous because I knew at some point there will be a Saturday night. And you all know what the expectation of Saturday nights at a conference are, right? There's this expectation like somehow the lights dim and whatever happens. And we just have an expectation. So I asked Pastor Ko, I said, before he left to Malaysia, I said, is it even possible for me to expect for something to happen because I'm going by myself. Like I don't have our worship team there. I don't have prayer partners. It's me and a bunch of professional Christians who think they know better than me and who are so resistant to the charisma of God. And so he was like, you'll be fine. Yeah, of course. He's like, I do that. That's what I do. I go by myself. I'm like, what are you talking about? I can't do that. And so I asked him for tips, and I'm going to tell you really what he told me so that you can use it for your life. I, literally, that's what I do. I take the, the information. I use it. If it works, I share it. Okay, so what happened? He said, Focus on the spiritual formation of the people. And when you pray, pray unto the spiritual formation of the people. If you do that, if things happen as a result, let it happen. If not, you're fine. Then it doesn't have to happen. That was really helpful for me. I was like, okay, I'll do that. Saturday night came, and I just wanted to go home. We had camp dinner. You know how that feels. And then, and then I just wanted to go home. And I was really nervous, like, okay, what am I, I going to do? And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, because that's what I always hear from this pulpit to do. And, I've, and I said, God, if you want to do something, I'm yours. I'm yours. It's not here I am, because I've come to the point in my life where the here I am let me down. The Rajiv that I once was really let me down. I don't show that part of me, myself, but, but I've been very disappointed with how things... If you told me at age 28 that at 38 my life would look like this, like besides the family and the kids, that's beautiful. But I'm talking about the other things. I would not be happy. I would have been depressed starting at 28. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I'd have been really miserable. That was the type of person I was. But now I'm different. And so I've given up the here I am. So I came to the point that Saturday night. I said, just use me if you want to. <laughs> I don't know how you do all these things in these non-spiritual spaces. But I've seen you do this. For me, the hardest part is like professional Christians. It's easy to do it in, with you guys. And it's easy to do it with non-Christians, but the professional Christians is hard for me, okay? Do you know what I mean by professional Christians? I mean by people who have been Christian for a long time that are resistant to the outworking of the Holy Spirit. And so I came to the end of myself that night, and I preached, and it was like the word I got for them was good. Like, you know, it's like when you feel like it is what it is. I was like, this is, this is good. Thank you, God. But after 10 minutes, I stopped because the here I am was eating at me. 
inside. And I said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I closed the Bible. I said, everybody, close your eyes. And we just started praying. And all of a sudden, people started getting healed. People started getting healed, their ankles, their headaches, very specific. I, I, I said, somebody has a pain right here. And it was someone who was a professional violinist who wasn't supposed to come there, and she was struggling with the pain right here. She got healed. The whole place of these professional Christians, it looked like a revival meeting for 60 minutes. And everybody was crying, and people were testifying. And they became, they looked different. (laughs) I was with them for the weekend. They looked different. Their faces looked different. And I had never seen something like that in my life. I had never been in a space that was so non-charismatic. Not that being charismatic is the marker of Christianity. It's not. But just that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit could work so quickly like that. And I was completely amazed. There was about 40 words of knowledge. There were uh, one, person, I, one person's leg got healed, like the top of their left ankle, and then three other people had the same issue on their left, on the left leg. And they had been talking about it during the day that no one knew about but them. And they all got healed of the same. That was weird. And I just want to say to us today that when we, when we hear from God, when we say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, we relinquish control to ideas of righteousness and propriety. That what, whatever we think is appropriate, we give it up. We don't give up our faith. We don't relinquish our, our, our knowledge of who God is, but we give up all the things that we think are appropriate for that time and space in our life. I'm thinking about whether I should say this next thing, and I'm going to say it. After that, I had a lunch with a group of people, and I told them what happened. because they wanted to know how the conference was. But but it was like I was telling them the syllabus to my fuller class. It was like, okay, cool. I just kept eating. And (laughs) And it's it's not a knock on the group of people that I told it to. But it's like, if, if I tell you something like that, my expectation, my expectation is for you to ask questions and to figure out how you can do it too. I wonder if some of us are at this church and things happen that are miraculous and your whole life you're fine just going like this. You have to decide at one point or another if you want to learn and if you want to develop to become, to do the things that God has called you and I to do, or you could just go like this, what's next? You, we are, you and I are, and this is for me too, I'm, I was at that table too. And maybe I would have kept eating my rice too if somebody told me those things. But I believe that when God sets your heart on fire, you better realize that it's a fire. You better realize that, that it is a fire. Let me go investigate it. And it's not about what I did or my situation. I'm talking about with each other. How do you interact with the things of God? How? And because at the end of the day, if you want to be somebody who is a vessel that does things beyond your wildest imagination, that participates with the intimacy of God and changes the lives of people forever, if you want to participate with that, at some point, you're hung- you have to be hungry, and you have to want it, and you can't go back to your little life, your little small life, and think that God is going to do wonderful things. That would just be here I am, and we want to go past the here I am. 
I want that for each of us. Wherever you go, wherever your feet may roam, the Spirit of God will be with you, not because of anything you can do. In fact, you're nothing. The more God uses you, the more you'll be nothing. You'll need him that much more the next time. Think about the next conference I go to. Think about just psychologically, mentally, how much more I will need God to show up. So it has nothing to do with our talents or giftings or anything. It has everything to do with our hunger and our desire to take the commitments of propriety, whatever we think is appropriate, the commitments to what we think are valuable, and throw them away because what God has to say to you is much more valuable. 